It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in here to Talent Talk. We are back live. It's uh, 1 o'clock. It's Tuesday, and we are excited. To, well, I'm excited to, to be here talking to two spectacular guests. And you know, t- 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 Talent Talk really centers around this idea of talent management, recruitment, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. And you know, there's so many different uh, people that we talk to, from CEOs to entrepreneurs to HR pros, coaches, business leaders, that we get such wonderful perspectives and new ideas often about where we ought to be thinking about, where we ought to be putting our time and energy into our people. So love to have you uh, be a part of our podcast here on iTunes and check us out on talenttalkradio.com. And hopefully we can uh, continue to inspire and help you uh, inside of your business and inside of your career. You know, I've attended so many events. In fact, last week I was in, uh, I think it was yeah, last week I was in Croatia, um, speaking uh, for the re- remote uh, summit and uh, met some really spectacular people, some that we'll be having on the show here this year. Uh, unfortunately, um, the internet wasn't so good in some parts where we were and nor was the phone service. So sometimes life throws you these little challenges. We had to push the show. So thank you everyone for being patient. Uh, we got everyone rescheduled. Uh, but uh, sometimes you just don't remember that maybe you can't get the best internet or uh, make a phone call sometimes in certain places. So it happened. We made it work, but I'm really excited today to have our guests on. Um, you know, we've had so many wonderful guests over the years that some of those best stories have been turned into uh, my first book, The Power of Company Culture, which took some of the best lessons from my own company, as well as those from uh, our guests on the show. Love to have you check out that book if you have time. And as I mentioned, we are live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, as long as I don't run into internet troubles around the world. Um, we've amassed such a great following. Over 10,000 of you come in every day, downloading a show, listening, uh, especially on iTunes is the best place to uh, to certainly subscribe or check us out on talenttalkradio.com. Now, the most important thing before we get to our guests, who are the most important part of the show, is if you want to be a part of the conversation, we really want you to be to do that. And the best place to do that is on Twitter. Um, Sarah, our associate producer, is live tweeting for us. And uh, if you follow at PeopleG2, uh, you can see all those live tweets. If you follow the hashtag Talent Talk, all one word, you can do that as well. And we will be kind of throwing out the best tidbits, the best one-liners, the best pieces of wisdom, books, whatever come up into that Twitter feed. So there you can like, retweet. And most importantly, comment. We'd love to have that conversation going. So, 
All right, now that we've gotten all the business out of the way, let's talk about who's on the show today. My first guest today will be Matthew Peters, HR Director for the Fairfax County Park Authority. And then after the commercial break, we'll bring in Daniel uh, Mendita, the CEO and co-founder of Global People Strategist. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring in Matthew today. Matthew, welcome to the show. Um, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. I enjoy being on your show. Yeah, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you, uh, and what you're doing in your role as HR Director at the Fairfax County Park Authority. Okay, well, great. So I've been in the HR trade space for uh, for quite a long time, and I've actually had the opportunity to work in you know, a lot of different organizations, private, public, government, et cetera. And I've really been enjoying my time with the uh, Park Authority. Um, it is one of the largest park authorities in the country. Um, you know, over 400 different uh, sites and locations. As a matter of fact, if I do a little advertisement, earlier today, the Fairfax County Park Authority was awarded the gold medal for large park authorities in the United States, which was a pretty big accomplishment. I think it's the fourth time we've earned that. Um, I really enjoy it because of the culture and attitude of the, the team, and we've got a really complex uh, workforce here. We've got about 500 merit employees, about 500 part-time, 2,000 seasonal, and over 4,000 volunteers that all work with us as we look at developing products and services for the residents of Fair and visitors of Fairfax County. Well, congratulations on the award. That's really great uh, to hear, and sounds like you're doing some great things over there. Maybe you could talk about, let's just start with, uh, what does it mean uh, for HR to be a strategic asset for a company or uh, whatever organization type that they may be working for? How do you sort of view that, that part of, of what HR brings from a strategic level to any organization? Yeah, Chris, I think that's a, gr a great question. You know, I, I draw a distinction in, in HR between uh, what I would call the daily transactional work, which can be reactive in nature, you know, and you got to be able to do that. You have to be able to do that well, you know, the recruiting, the payroll, employee relations, all that stuff. It's very important. But I think the strategic piece is where HR, human capital, really uh, makes its mark. And I approach it from the perspective that in most companies, the employees are the bulk of the human or the bulk of the capital. It could be, you know, in some cases, 60 or 70 percent of the, the value of the company. At the Park Authority, we're probably over 80 or 90 percent. And so to me, it's how you engage with the uh, the leaders of the company and help achieve the strategic goals. So instead of being reactive, you're being proactive, working with those leaders to help them shape and sustain their workforce. And in you know, today's environment, you just have so many choices, whether you're recruiting or training and retaining or outsourcing or in some cases offshoring and ultimately you know, making sure the workforce is, is really engaged. So that, I think, is the strategic piece where you're helping you know, engage on the top strategic goals, making hard choices, um, and helping the individual business leaders, kind of as an internal consultant, um, achieve their strategic objectives. Yeah, and that can be uh, sometimes insurmountable for people. That can be an overwhelming opportunity for them. I mean, there's so much that goes into that uh, for anybody, whether you have an entire team or you're one per person inside of an organization. Uh, when we sort of view HR and, and the things that you talked about through that strategic asset lens, um, then how do you, how, how does the approach to HR and, or the, the use and understanding of HR, how, how does that begin to change 
um, maybe the focus inside the company, change the person's perspective? Where, where do you see that, that change starting to happen as you use that strategic lens more often? Well, I try to work as more of a consultant, and maybe that's an overused word, but I really try to get to understand the uh, the business leader's requirements, what they're facing, their terms, their their uh the issues they're facing on a daily basis, and I say me, it's 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 our entire team because I've got a great team that uh, that that works in these areas, and so you become really a partner with them. And so as they're going up and down, you're going up and down, and you're there to provide the uh, you know the strategic expertise or the expertise from an HR perspective. That doesn't mean to, you know it depends on the company you're working with, whether they're you know engineering or whatever it is. Um, you don't have to be an expert in that, but you have to be the expert in how to help their employees be successful. Um, and there's a lot of different options in how you do that. And I think in the past, in many situations, HR becomes a black box to the business leaders. You know, they need people or they need this, and they kind of internally outsource it, if you use that term. But here you change that, that the entire conversation where you're working with them and helping them understand their ramifications and solving their problems and then as you solve their problems, obviously you develop that relationship and they come back for more and more uh, assistance. And the more value you can provide, the better the relationship is. And, and frankly, the better you support you get from them for other HR initiatives. Well, a lot of companies struggle to develop effective training for their employees and their managers, um, maybe just sort of winging as, as they go. <laughs> um, what do you see as some of the maybe keys to developing a really effective training platform? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if I can, I'll just build on the kind of same theme I just talked about. Um, and I think, you know, I've worked with CFOs and companies and things like that. The one thing they'll frequently come back is, you know, prove the value. Why do I need to invest in this? Um, one of the techniques I've learned over the years is working directly, once again, with the business leaders to identify what their top requirements. In this case, you're talking, you know, getting into the lexicon, you know, the competency, the the knowledge, the skills, the abilities, whether it's soft skills or technical skills um, that they need their workforce to have. And obviously on, on the training side, you know, we need to be the experts, um, whether you want to pick about what type of models we use, whether it's Addy or whatever. We need to be able to design, design, develop, design, develop, and deliver the best possible training. But to me, that's what you like to, you know, the transactional stuff. The key is getting the business leaders to articulate the value of the training. And the technique I've used a couple of times and has worked really well is to ask them what the value is if their employees can do X, Y, or Z. Depends on what the course is designed to be. And it gets, it, it really leads you down an interesting path because then they have to fathom what the value would be, you know, and they'll talk in their language. Is it increased profit? Is it reduced time to, uh, for maintenance work? It could be a number of different things. But then once you get them into that realm, then it's easy to translate that that changed performance into dollar values and the student population that they're going to commit to sending there. So once again, you're developing a great relationship. And as you do that with each individual business leader with their different priorities, you can quickly translate that into a training portfolio that you're going to use and deliver across the organization and we you know with with hard ROI for the different courses staggered at different times, um, and you can manage that 
to top with top leadership as you go throughout the year. So once again, it's it's dealing as a consultant, working directly with those leaders and talking in their language. Is there a connection, do you think, between those types of programs and getting that right for employees and then, you know, connecting that to how they feel about the company, the relationship they feel they have with the company? So you're sort of talking about how do we how do we get managers, how do we get senior leadership on board with, with those training programs? But I guess my secondary question is, is then how does that translate into the connection the employee may feel once they've received those types of trainings? Well, I think that's... Um... That's a real important part too. So I mean, yeah, you know, from a training uh, lexicon, you know, one of the things we frequently say is you do you deliver good training, and then the employee goes back into the workplace and they see their supervisor and they pat them on the back and say, "We don't do that around here. <laughs> Go back to work," you know. And then you essentially, I guess you call it, flushed all the training. So I think that's where you can use different measures of evaluate and evaluation. You've already created a good relationship with the supervisors and the, the leaders on the value and you go back in and you work with the employee and the in the organization to make sure that they're being successful in what they're trying to do um, and sometimes you know i think that's where the instructors can maintain good relationships with the with their students the employees you know because as they're applying it sometimes there's a there's there's problems and you provide that additional guidance and assistance to them Kind of like in job aids and, and ongoing support, you can do that with social media in some situations to help them be successful and apply that information to the workplace. Yeah, and you know, if we we take that information and we sort of build on that, I guess, um, are, are there some positives that we can pull out of you know our overall programs to to connect back to whether it's training, whether it's uh, investment? You said sort of making that uh, making that um, connection between what we're going to see employees grow into, what they're going to become, and how that might connect to our leaders and what they might uh, you know, be willing to do and to train and to, to invest in. Um, are there other positives that you have seen that maybe we, we wouldn't normally think about? It wouldn't be at the first thing we think about is, uh, you know, have come out of some of the programs and things that you've seen implemented? Well, I think the, the biggest part is when you can work with both sides um, and create an environment where the employees are, are highly engaged. And that gets back into, you know, what type of leadership culture you're putting in place and what type of organizational structure you have. Um, because I think, you know, in today's environment, and, and obviously it's different for different companies, we have a very inclusive and uh, work environment here. The leaders are ask the employees for their participation and they involve them in some of the decision-making. And when you do that, I think that you end up with a much more engaged workforce that comes up with numerous ideas and they're you know, contributing 120% to the, uh, the product rather than you know, just kind of a nine to five and they're out of there. So ultimately, it comes down to having good employee engagement. I think research and best practices show that if you, get, if you involve employees in, in decision-making, you give them lots of information via different means, um, then that's going to build that commitment to the company and give them the, the job satisfaction to be successful. So we work, we're working on a bunch of those types of initiatives here. One of the recent um, initiatives is a director's advisory council that our directors put in place with members of the organization from top to bottom. Um, where they they bring forward all sorts of ideas and they collaboratively discuss those and, and make decisions. So there's probably a lot of different ways based on the culture of the company 
to build that employee engagement. Um, but we're kind of heading down the path of, of trying to be as inclusive as possible. Well, in any organization, I'm sure like yours, you kind of walk that line between, uh, I guess, a mix of public and, and private. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you see that are very specific to your organization uh, that you have to deal with? Well, that's that's a great question, and uh, and frankly, that's one I, is a new one that I'm working on. We're working on now. You know, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, the park authority is it's a public organization. You know, so it's governmental, um, and you know, gov- every kind of structure and organization has policies and procedures. And so, you know, the federal government, the public sector has pretty rigorous rules, and it's designed to provide services. Um, private sector is generally focused on profit. And so the interesting twist for us is that although we're a public sector, we also operate like a private organization. We have over 40 different rec centers and golf courses and historical sites, and they generate revenue. And so over 60% of our revenue, our day-to-day business operations funding, has to come from that revenue. And so we're working with two different cultures, and so it's kind of interesting that we're trying to grow the, I guess you'd call it a private sector uh, culture, and it, it's going to require some different policies and procedures. We're doing it with a lot of change management right now and providing training to employees. Uh, we're doing focus groups to identify how they can operate more like a, a franchise and then um, making sure we're creating good business intelligence and analysis so they can capitalize on that. And once again, it all goes back to the inclusive nature and, and trying to create an environment where employees can capitalize on those opportunities. But in, in you know, summary there, it's a really interesting mix between two different cultures, a public sector that's focused on delivering services and then a private sector that's focused on developing profits and revenue. And, and do you think that ultimately you'll find uh, some common ground, some common culture between those two groups? Or is it just a matter of managing maybe two different groups, two different cultures on a single set of values, um, you know, that maybe they're different enough that they're never really going to, you know, come together, but they sort of maybe coexist? I, that's a great, great perspective. I think they're going to coexist. I mean, obviously, it's the same workforce. Um, and right now we're trying to draw the distinctions because we're trying to change some behaviors. But overarching, it's the same, essentially the same workforce. And, you know, we have many employees who have been here for 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, we also have new employees, uh, which range the gamut, you know, from teenagers on up with lifeguards and things like that. So I think eventually we're, you know, we're going to build in common core values uh, that go across as employees actually flip from one type of arena to the other. Uh, but right now, it's really just a fascinating HR uh, exercise as we as we f- focus more increasing, you know, on the revenue side. Yeah, and and I think that's probably going to be an ever evolving uh, thing for you, and, and and probably some interesting uh, perspectives that will be interesting to hear uh, down the road. Um, you know, one of the things that we really enjoy asking our our guests is about the, maybe the books that they're reading or the the areas in which they find. Uh, I guess some solace in, in learning something new. So, do you have any uh, books or, or or things that you've learned that you might share with us? Well, just to be consistent, I guess yes. Um, I'm actually been doing a lot of reading on uh, inclusion and diversity uh, and those type areas. And one of the books I'm reading right now is by uh, Moore Barrick. Um, it's called Managing Diversity Towards a Globally Inclusive Workplace. Um, and she's got some really good. Um, 
you know, scales, measurement scales, and and uh, surveys that can be taken. And it focuses a lot on what some of the themes I've been talking about: participation, decision making, information sharing. Um, and in the big scheme of things, I think it's it mainly focuses on the transition of of uh, government directed diversity management from the 60s and 70s with the Civil Rights Acts to, to really more of the modern workforce, which is global, multi-generational, um, um, and with very different values with the different generations it was, and trying to integrate that into uh, an effective workplace. Yeah, and, and you bring up an interesting point about sort of the changes and where it's being driven and where it's being pushed. Um, so it was, you know, a lot of organizations out there think that they want to do something around diversity. They know that that's something that should be important, but maybe they just haven't done anything yet. They really haven't put any particular focus or or, or energy around there. Is there sort of given that you're, you're taking some time to read this book and your experience, is there a certain place you might suggest they start? Is there a you know good good starting point for them to, to kind of kick that off? Well, I think the key is, um, I mean, I keep going back to the same things, you know, transactional, reactive versus forward thinking. You know, everyone's got to be obviously following the diversity rules and regulations. There's a whole slew of those, which I'm sure every HR professional is involved in. I think the challenge when you transition from diversity management into more of an inclusion environment in that area is really trying to think a little bit differently. Um, and we all for better or for worse, have our own biases and stereotypes and perspectives and stuff like that. And it's, I think it's kind of a ch opening up your lens and it's having those discussions and being, once again, inclusive to look at things differently. Um, I would challenge the first step would be not like a diversity management course, it would be more of a cultural awareness course. You know, developing some courses or taking some yourself that look at the different perspectives I saw a multi-day course probably uh, three or four years ago, and it was fascinating because they broke each ethnic and generational and gender. They broke everything apart, and they gave presentations um, with representatives doing it that talked about the values of the different ethnicities and genders, and it got into LGBT and everything else. Um, and so it, was, it kind of opened my eyes on, on that. Um, so I think that kind of approach helps HR professionals as they're working with the leaders of organizations on how to kind of embrace these opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's so many different ways that we can think about it. But, um, you know, I often just say, just start, right? Just just do something, um, out, at, if you're, especially outside of what you're legally complied to do or whatever may be kind of coming from that end. But just from a, you know, I guess from a softer side, uh, Helping organizations begin to start to have those conversations, begin to start to do something, and kind of build on it as best they can, um, as much as they can. Uh, that seems to make a big difference. Um, you know, you've mentioned a lot of great things here today. We've talked about a couple. Uh, you kind of had some very consistent points, which I appreciate, uh, which is I think help us stay focused a little bit in our conversation today. But if someone you know is listening, but maybe they uh, got distracted, they fell asleep, or or weren't paying attention, and they only heard what you say one thing today. What's the one thing you hope they might have remembered from our conversation today? Well, Chris, I would say you know the important thing is for HR professionals to recognize that they're responsible for creating, shaping, and sustaining the workforce. And in most cases, that's 60 to 80% of the value of the company. 
you know, the, the, the money that's going into to doing those things, which really makes HR, or human capital, a, a tremendously important capability for the organization. And the important thing for HR to, to do is to, is to step up the plate, recognize those opportunities, and, and grab them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how can people find out more about you? How can they find out more about uh, the Fairfax County Park Authority? Maybe they're interested in working uh, for your organization, or what's the best way for them to kind of get more? Well, we obviously have a website, um, fairfaxcounty.gov. Um, my personal email address, if anyone wants to get motivated enough to send me an, an email, <laughs> is simply my name with that. And I'm also up on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active up on LinkedIn, so they could always find me that direction. And I'd be happy to chat and uh, learn more from any of your other listeners. Yeah, so if you're interested in connecting with him, LinkedIn might be the best way. Matthew Peters is what you want to look for. And uh, really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, learned a lot, and hopefully, uh, you know, we can uh, have you back at some point and give us an update on how your uh, your dual culture uh, conundrum is, is going. That'd be great, Chris, and thanks for having me, and I'd be uh, happy to return to your show. All right. I'll be right back after this quick commercial break, and I'll bring in my second guest, uh, Daniel M Mendita. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months, and the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk radio show. If you missed my first guest, Matthew Peters, you can listen to his interview here pretty quick. We'll have it up uh, on iTunes or on TalentTalkRadio.com in a few weeks. Uh, we'll turn all this into a podcast and you can listen there all you want, but if you don't want to miss it, go over there and subscribe now. That's the best thing to do, and we'd love to have everyone be a part of the show there. So let's go ahead and get to my next guest, Daniel uh, Daniel Mendita, CEO and co-founder of Global People Strategists. Um, as a reminder, we are live tweeting the show. Uh, make sure you go to Twitter, at PeopleG2, or follow that hashtag, all one word, talent talk, hashtag talent talk, and you'll be able to see all the best uh, little tidbits, uh, comment, like, retweet, whatever you want to do with all that content there. So uh, let's go ahead and bring him in. Daniel, welcome to the show. Absolutely, Chris. And first off, thank you for inviting me to chat with you today. I'm glad to have you. So just to share a little bit about myself, uh, I've been in human resources for about 20 years. Um, I started off in talent working with the U.S. Peace Corps. Our recruitment force was responsible for bringing in uh, more than 3,500 new skilled volunteers every year. This is where I learned what it meant to chase the purple squirrel so to speak, um, or as we used to joke about it, uh, looking for the one-eyed underwater basket weaver that could speak Arabic. <laughs> uh, 
good experience overall. I started off uh, even before that as a volunteer in Russia. Um, and through this whole experience, I was able to parlay that into uh, building a recruitment and HR department for the Clinton Health Access Initiative, which is the Clinton Foundation's largest initiative dedicated to helping solve some of the most challenging sort of global health-related issues. Um, I left that organization as the Chief Human Resources Officer in 2012 and co-founded Odney Consulting, uh, which is both an HR consulting firm and a technology company. Um, and we're always, you know, looking for ways to sort of enrich the lives of, of HR and operations practitioners, uh, having come from that background ourselves. Uh, and that really leads me to my current role, which is uh, that of CEO to Global People Strategist. And we're a product that's dedicated to keeping clients informed of changes in the labor code uh, of more than 150 jurisdictions globally. Um, our solution provides both research and practical applications from uh, all from one portal. So if a client's looking for you know a basic understanding of what it means to be an employer in a particular country that they subscribe to, they can go in there and investigate to their heart's content. Um, they can learn about the minimum statutory requirements, or if they need more practical application uh, and need to download a template or an employment agreement for a, or a handbook, um, they can do that there as well. All before you know, passing it along to their attorney for a final review. Well, it certainly sounds like a fascinating um, uh, kind of life you've lived to to get to the point you're at now. And I, I know some people that have done the Peace Corps thing, and they usually come back really kind of I think changed, changed in a good way, not in a not not anything negative meant around that word, um, but really kind of come back different and changed and going through that experience. I'm wondering, you know, kind of given you went through that experience and then were a part of that experience for quite some time and then helping find people, um, maybe you could just kind of dive for a moment into the Peace Corps and to what you think people get out of it. Maybe who should be, who should think about being a part of that experience? Well, I think one of the, uh, the common uh, sort of misnomers about Peace Corps uh, is that, you know, you sort of join it um, or, you, you know, it's something that is sort of an entitlement. Uh, it's really, you know, like any other professional organization looking for scarce skills to fulfill, you know, roles that are, are needed within a, a particular country. It's a collaboration between, you know, the United States and those countries. Uh, so we work very closely um, with different countries to identify what those needs are. Um, and a lot of the skills that are, are brought in, you know, really range. Yeah, it's very diverse from, you know, agriculture to education to technology. Uh, and my role in, in Russia was, uh, was one where I was doing uh, secondary school education um, as well as doing small business development. Um, and it's a two-year experience. It's a great uh, experience. You get to learn a, a local language, and the, uh, the language program is actually second to none. It's the same program that is used by the State Department. Um, and within three months, you're able to sort of get around and you know, be independent. Uh, so it's really good, you know, professionally, you know, to, to be able to uh, experience another another culture. Uh, it really is what kick-started sort of my whole uh, career into looking at international. I just knew that I wanted to be more exposed than sort of caught up in, in just U.S. affairs. So in kind of transitioning that into the international focus, um, what are some of the unique challenges that exist for you in engaging talent internationally? Uh, I think that employers, you know, don't have a, a uniform set of rules and guidelines to operate from when they're engaging global talent. Uh, they have to consider how they're going to legally employ, 
my favorite quote of all time is, I don't need to worry about that because I'm hiring an independent contractor. Uh, it's one of those things that, that we get so frequently, and it's always such a shock when I talk you know, to an employee and I sort of walk them through the meaning of those words and you know, the implications, you know, what the implications are globally. Um, there are also you know, different challenges that really mimic you know, the tasks and activities that every U.S. HR department has. Items like payroll, benefits, you know, remittance of taxes, and all of those pretty standard topics that when layered on uh, with the global piece can be even more challenging than what a typical, uh, you know, what a company typically expects when they're first expanding into an international market. Um, for those that have done a country or two and, you know, have, have already sort of wet their, their feet, um, they're a bit more practiced and can ask the right questions up front, but for the rest, the right questions in their home jurisdiction may not be the right ones in the one that they're entering. So what are some of the other missteps that employers tend to make as they're, you know, looking to employ people abroad? You know, is it, I guess, is it tax and, and, and legal? Is it, you know, sort of miss, uh, is it communication? Is it not dealing with the language barrier? I mean, what are some of the areas where you see they kind of really stumble? Yeah, I, I would say that our clients come to us thinking that their biggest challenge is going to be, you know, uh, hiring the wrong person for the job. Um, and, and that's, you know, I think that holds true. Uh, finding the right people is always, uh, is always critical. But what I see most often at Global People Strategist is more related to the mismatch of expectations. Uh, employers not knowing what makes an employee tick in the jurisdiction that they're, you know, that they're hiring tends to be number one, followed closely uh, by employees knowing their rights better than the employers that are attempting to employ them. Um, so I've worked with many clients over the years, you know, that try to apply their U.S., you know, Canadian or German norms across all jurisdictions uh, that they're trying to expand to, uh, and that's, you know, wildly sort of unsuccessful. Uh, for example, you know, if you're if you're a U.S. company trying to engage somebody in Costa Rica uh, for the first time, your recruiter may not get very far, um, you know, with the with the candidates describing how awesome their, you know, fully covered health insurance plan is. And that's because in Costa Rica, the national insurance scheme is both required, but also very comprehensive. So uh, employees want to see just more breadth in their offer than what is statutory. Uh, what they want to see is, you know, uh, benefits that range from gym memberships, to meal plans, transportation, no interest loans, uh, other benefits that would basically make the, you know, the employer more competitive and enticing. Are there some surprises that uh, employers tend to, you know, or have run into from a labor law standpoint? I mean, maybe it's, you know, a significant difference in the amount of days off or vacation time um, or, you know, maybe something else that they just, you know, were completely dumbfounded to find out? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, you know, they, they react uh, to um, the amount of holidays. If you're looking at India, for example, uh, it's, it's almost twice the, the amount of holidays, and it also depends on where you're at in the country. Um, you know, and that's, that's quite typical. I mean, we don't have guaranteed days off in the United States, so if you're comparing it to the United States, um, you know, we don't have any, any of those rights or, um, or ability uh, to, you know, request those, those sort of benefits without it being sort of contractual. Um, we get a lot of uh, surprise around general benefits, um, it's also, you know, common in other countries to provide, you know, low or no cost car loans and uh, support for housing. 
uh, transportation to and from work. You know, just pretty runs it runs the gamut. Yeah, I remember one time having uh, an outside firm that was helping us with some stuff. Two firms in India, and one just disappeared for a week. And you know, we were going out of our minds. And then when they came back and said, "Okay, we're back," and we're like, well, "Where did you go?" And they said, "Oh, well, it was a holiday." And I can't remember which holiday it was. It was all week. And I said, "Well, how come the other firm, you know, was working?" And they said, "Well, they're not from the same area." Um, you know that they don't they don't celebrate those holidays. So I I know exactly what you're talking about. We had that just, you know, and and it, and there wasn't in the communication. They just assumed that we would know that that week they were going to be off, and right. they weren't going to do any work. Um, and we learned the hard way to to in, in any of our engagements. Uh, you know, for us it tends to be more of a vendor engagement, but to ask those questions in advance and to find out when they typically are off and when do they typically work because. They may also work holidays and days that we would be off as well. And then there's that communication, miscommunication there as well. So uh, it, it feels like something has to be really intentional and you really have to think about uh, and have those deep conversations before you get going. Absolutely. So how does the Global People Strategist support clients uh, who, who want to engage talent globally? What, what are some of the big services that you're providing uh, as that transaction is occurring? We provide the tools and support to help clients understand what it means to be an employer in the jurisdiction that they're entering. Uh, if you look at, you know, business 30 years ago, uh, the only companies that, you know, that went abroad were the large multinational companies, and it was much, uh, much less common for, you know, a startup company to, to expand. Uh, these were usually, you know, very well thought, you know, carefully weighed options on, you know, where to expand, when to expand, and, you know, all of the reasons around why you would want to expand. But today it's fairly common for, for a company to, to form in January and in, you know, June of the same year be in three additional countries. Um, you know, oftentimes they're sort of chasing the talent without any real guidance about the compliance aspect. And so we help these employers by matching the pace of their ambitions uh, and provide them, you know, with the information that they need to be, you know, compliant employers. Well, and you're tracking a lot of countries. So I guess one of the kind of fascinating questions I had in preparing for you to come on the show today was, how do you keep up with all of that? I mean, we have the challenges that we're trying to keep up with 50 different states that have all these different laws and counties, but you get into the country level, 100 countries, and you have all of their sub, whether they're provinces or districts or states or whatever, they break those down and all the complexities in there. Is it something you have a solution for or is it just a never ever-going challenge that you're trying to keep up with. Absolutely. And, and you're in California, right? Yeah. <laughs> home, of, home of compliance. <laughs> home of compliance. You're, you're a country into, uh, unto itself, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Inter <laughs> International Republic of California. I think some people... The International Republic of California. <laughs> precisely. Um, so how do we keep up? Uh, in one word, painstakingly. <laughs> right. Um, it's important to note that Global People Strategist isn't uh, a global law firm. We don't have a team of 183 attorneys, you know, each tackling their own country. We aren't providing any direct advice to clients, and we don't claim that, you know, that this is our value proposition. Instead, you know, our approach is more holistic. Uh, we know from firsthand experience as practitioners of global HR and operations uh, that the companies we're servicing are going to expand whether or not they have the information. Uh, so most of them won't approach an attorney because it's too cost prohibitive. Um, so starting, you know, with that root problem, we've built resources that leverage 
um, the available data of country governments and official gazettes, media, legal resources like LexisNexis, um, along with our deeply, you know, experienced in-country experts, which also does include attorneys, but also includes, you know, consultants, accountants, and payroll providers, um, all to build a framework where, you know, this type of information is more attainable. So in a way, we're, we're sort of like information brokers. Yeah, and, and I really appreciate you kind of being honest that, you know, the, the real answer is painstakingly, right? And it takes work, it takes effort. This is not some magic algorithm out there doing all the work for you, and it's not uh, it's not hocus pocus. It takes a lot of work. It takes effort. It takes people. I think that's probably the, the big value, one of the, the value propositions for you, for your clients, is you guys are taking the time to do that work. And so when they do move into another country, when they decide to bring in someone new, uh, you have you, you should have it ready for them. Um, maybe what, what would be your sort of parting advice here to, to any employer who wants to engage employees abroad? Um, you know, is it, is it overall a, a good strategy? Uh, you know, is this something they should be thinking about? Is this in general if they can get past it a good idea, uh, or do you have some other ideas about you know companies looking to do this maybe for the first time? Yeah, I mean, I think that everyone's. Uh everyone's thought process is in the right place. Uh, you know, it's, it's the, the battle for talent, right? Um, and that's what, what drives a lot of it these days is, you know, finding the right people to do the right work. And uh, sometimes that, that tends to be, you know, right in your hometown, but more and more it's become uh, sort of a gig, you know, economy and we're looking for, um, you know, solutions that will fix the short-term problem and then maybe that'll become hopefully the long-term problem because that'll benefit the business. Um, and so my, I guess my advice would be, you know, finding partners uh, that can speak to more than just one primary concern. Um, you know, if your if your concern is, and we get this a lot, um, you know, the concern is always about the talent piece of it. You know, I want to hire this one person, uh, but I always like to list off for clients, you know, the five questions I tend to ask myself when expanding into a new country, and that's how am I going to legally operate as a company? How am I going to legally employ talent? How am I going to pay the talent? Uh, what do I need to do and in what frequency uh, to stay com in compliance? And if I need an exit strategy from the country, what does that look like? So a good partner will be able to point out, um, you know, the right direction for each of those questions. Absolutely. Well, um, one of the other questions that we love asking our uh, guests is, what are you reading right now? Can you tell us about that book? <laughs> uh, professional or personal? You choose or tell us both. Either one is good. <laughs> Um, okay, sure. I'll share both. Uh, I'm, I'm rereading -re -re uh, International Dimensions of Organizational Behavior uh, by Nancy Adler. It's a, it's a pretty old book. It used to be used uh, as college text um, and basically covers, you know, the concepts and theory of organizational behavior internationally uh, and brings it to life with cases and examples of how they play out really across multiple cultures. Uh, so I've read it, you know, probably a dozen times over the past few years, but every time I read it, it's, you know, something new and uh, exciting. I, I pull from it. And then on the personal reading list, I'm a bit more uh, into sci-fi and action heroes. Uh, and I'm a bit behind on my favorite action team, which is uh, Sigma. And that's brought to life by James Rollins. I think right now I'm on his 10th uh, book in the series out of 15. Uh, it's called Six, The Sixth Extinction. Uh, I like his books because he's, he's a bit of a stickler for science facts, and he always breaks down all of the concepts at the end of the book, you know, and, and distills, you know, sort of what is science facts and what is science fiction. 
Well, we, this is why we asked this question. We love the variety and the diversity of, of the answers that we get. And I'm sure there's lots of people out there that wrote down each of the book and maybe a few people who wrote down both uh, that will be interested in, in those things that you're reading. So, um, Dana, thank you so much for being on the show today. You learned a lot. We have This is kind of a first time for us to dive into the complexity of, of hiring people from around the world. And so you certainly brought us to something new to think about. Uh, hopefully, we can have you come back at some point uh, and give us an update on all the changes and things happening in your career and around the world with employment. Excellent. Thank you for the time. All right. Next week, my guests will include Dr. Dina Brown, friend of ours from the show, uh, executive director of the John Maxwell team, and then also Denise uh, Robertson, the president and CEO of Jody Communications. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 